Thank you for listening to Paragon Church's podcast from Sunday morning, November 18th, our communion service. For more information about Paragon Church, please visit us at paragonchurch.com. When you think about do this in remembrance of me, why do we do communion? And I began to start thinking about, you know, how we do communion, why we do communion, the fact that we like to do it uh, different ways in different churches. We as a church do it differently than a lot. Many do it on like once a week even. Some do it once a month, like the second Sunday of every month. That's the church I grew up in, the way they did it. The way we do it is we do it either at the end of the sermon series or before a big event where we really do want to give thanks and and want to take time to remember. And Thanksgiving, obviously, is one of those. Our next one will actually be on January, or sorry, December 30th as we head into the new year. We'll be taking some time and doing that as well. But, you know, a couple of months ago, we took some time to refresh and remember why we do what we do. And we talked about our five statements that we have as a church and the things that we do. And they're here on this sign behind me, found people, find people. I can't do life alone. Save people, serve people. I can't outgive God and growing people change. And I thought about the fact that even as we come to this table, those are represented as we remember. Those things are represented. Why do we do what we do? Why do we say, I can't outgive God? Well, when we look at this table, we see how much he gave, what this table represents. It should change the way that we approach it. And, and I think the same thing with why we serve, why we give, why we do the things we do. We, we look at that. But there's even more to what we do as we remember today. See, it says, do this in remembrance of me. And I'm not sure if you really think about it, how often you've taken communion in whatever church you've been a part of. But one of the things that I realized... Uh, this week is for over 20 years, I've been leading communion in some shape or form with the church. When I very first got into ministry, I was at a big church in Phoenix. It was a church of 2,500 people, and I was a junior high youth pastor. And being the junior high youth pastor there, you know, we had the opportunity to go side by side, and we kind of we sat next to the head pastor. We, we got our opportunity, each staff member each month, because it was always on the second Sunday, had the opportunity to do the juice while the, um, while the, the pastor did the bread, and he prayed over that, and that was kind of the way it all broke down. And so we would go up there, and, and, and it would be the one Sunday a month that I had to wear a suit, and we would all walk in, and the lights would be kind of dimmed down low, and everybody would be very quiet during communion. There wasn't a lot of noise, and, and what would happen is we had trays just like this, but they would stack on top of each other, and when you'd stack them on top of each other, they had little lips uh, so you could grab and you could hold, and they had a little covering on the top, they had a little cross on top, and you were very careful not to clank it as you lifted it, because we have this weird way of approaching communion in this somber kind of, oh, kind of blah kind of moment, and, and so as you're walking into it, you have all of this quiet. And, of course, when you have metal together and quiet and a junior high youth pastor up in the front, their things are bound to go in a negative direction. And so um, what happened is we had all the stacks there. There's probably about 800 people out sitting and, and getting ready to take communion as I was sitting there. And I, I went to move the juice away from the bread because it was in a separate platter right there. And I went to kind of pick the juice up. And as I picked the juice up, the little lips caught the little lips of the bread, and bread went everywhere. And there was clanking, and everybody looked at me. And, of course, you had this mortified feeling of, I'm fired. I am totally done here. Nobody's going to ever want to hire me again. I have ruined communion for life. 
Good thing is the guy that did it after me a couple, weeks, a couple months later actually did it with the juice. So I felt a whole lot better. But the reality was is when that happened, everybody was mortified except for the kids that I worked with. You know what they did? They laughed. You better believe they laughed. All the junior high kids were like, oh! And of course, I'd been there long enough that all the high school kids who had been in my group, they laughed even harder. And of course, I got heard about it for weeks and weeks and weeks after that. But it's really funny, though, that my first thing was I just ruined it all. And the kids laughed about it. And I began to think about that from the, from the perspective of communion. How often do we approach communion in this somber Kind of, oh, ho hum, I gotta come in this. And it's not about reverence or anything. It's, we come as if maybe we're dejected and just we come quietly. It's almost like when you go to a visitation before a funeral. You know, the visitation this night before, it's always real somber and somebody's kind of playing the organ and it's real quiet and just a little side tap on your, you know, yeah, I feel for you. You have all that kind of thing going on. But I don't think that's how we're supposed to approach communion. I think we're supposed to approach communion like you do a funeral. Because in the funeral, doesn't it change the atmosphere a little bit? Don't people at a funeral talk about how the life of the person that is gone uh, is, has affected my life? How the, their entire life was it? It wasn't just we're going to remember the death. We're going to remember the whole thing. And I think sometimes when we come to communion, we only remember the death. And we forget all of the other things that took place. And all the other great things that took place in life. And I look at that and I think about this with my own life. You know, I'm hoping that, that when I die, and it's not an if, it's going to be a when, um, that if some of you are still around or, you know, whatever happens, that there's a giant celebration of my life. A celebration that, that I affected people in some sort of positive way. That somehow I was a part of seeing your life change for the better. That, that somehow God worked through, through me to work in you. I want that to be a celebration. Now, I don't want you just to celebrate that I'm gone, because that would be weird. But you, you, can, you can celebrate with my life and think about my life in general and as a whole. And I think that's what Jesus talks about when he says, do this in remembrance of me. Because oftentimes we'll go, get into this, well, in remembrance of him, it's just remembrance of his death. Now, he does say that. He does say, hey, when you take this cup, remember my body broken. When you take this, uh, uh, when you take the cup, remember my blood poured out. When you take the bread, remember my body broken. We understand that. But there's something bigger to it, too. Why did he have his body broken? Why did he have his blood spilt out? And we can look back and say, here is what it is. It changed the way we live, all the aspects of his life come into our life. We get to see the way that he loved. We get to see the way that he lived. We get to see it in our own lives. We get to see it take place in us, change us, work in us. We get to see that generous love that we talked about last week, that we are rescued by love and we are rescued for love. We get to see that. We get to feel that. We also get to see that we are rescued to live. Not just live a basic life, but live a huge, amazing, abundant life that he talks about. And see, here's what I think we do, at least me. When I come to the table, especially if it's in kind of a routine manner, I take it for granted. I take for granted that God sent his son from heaven to earth to live and to die for me. 
He did that so I could have a relationship with him. He did this in such a way. You know, I take so many things for granted in my life. And when I really think about it, I mean, it, taking something for granted is when you have something valuable, but you don't nourish it and you don't nurture it and you don't come alongside of it. And, and you just sometimes forget it in general. I think about that with my health. You never think about being healthy until you are sick. All my family is homesick right now. Christy sent me a text, and she's like, one's got diarrhea. One's got a fever. One's throwing up. And I'm like, yay, I can't wait to go home. We're going to drag this service out today. So uh, the, the, the reality is, the reality is we don't think about being healthy until we aren't. Uh, we take it for granted. We take our abilities and our age for granted. Because the older I get, the better I was. I'm telling you. It is the truth of the matter. My body does not respond the same way that it used to, and I get mad about it. And I even get more mad that when I was in my 20s, I'd make fun of people that were my age now and be like, ha-ha, you can't do it. And God's like, ha-ha, you can't do it. And that's just the, the, the reality of where we're at. We take things like that for granted. I think we take Thanksgiving for granted. In a time of giving thanks, whether it be a day or every day that we wake up, I mean, because when you stop and think about it, what immediately follows Thanksgiving? Black Friday. And Black Friday is a day of not being thankful for what you have because you need that other thing that you get a better deal for. As a matter of fact, I was watching TV the other day, and there was a U.S. cellular commercial that came on about how they had their Black Friday sales on their phones a week before so you could enjoy Thanksgiving. And he's t the, the narrator sitting around the table, and as he's sitting around the table, he's telling you this, and the rest of the table is gearing up to go door busting. And the lady's got a blender, and she's shoving all of her food in the blender so she can chug it. And there's another guy that's got a corn on the cob on like this harmonica thing, and he's like eating that and shoveling in and all these different things like this. And he goes, oh, wait, what are you thankful for? Bunny, deer, dog, rabbits. And, and then you keep right on going. That's, and just get so fast that we really are that way. And I laughed. And Christian's like, that's not funny. I said, yeah, it is. It's funny like the YouTube fail videos. That's the funny, because you see the hurt, you see the reality, and you still laugh at it and point your finger and go, ha, ha. You know, that's the, the reality of where we're at. And I think a lot of times we do that even with Thanksgiving in our own lives, and we can say, man, I'm just missing it. I'm taking it for granted. But here's the thing I think I take for granted the most. That is God and the relationship I get to have with God because of his son, Jesus Christ, fulfilling and filling that gap that was between us. I mean, when was the last time we sat down and remembered the generosity of God? When was the last time we sat down and said, this is who God is and how generous he really is? See, through God's son, Jesus, we have been given life. Now, I want to stop and have you picture this. Jesus existed eternally with God in heaven before he came here. I want you to picture heaven. Heaven, the most amazing, sinless, perfect place possible that Jesus left to come to this. How amazing is that? It'd be like me going, hey, I know you live in a mansion right here in, well, we're not going to say Albuquerque because it's got to be a little bit better than that. Uh, you know, let's say you live in a mansion in California that's not on fire and, and it's, it's all Right there, you have everything you could possibly want. And I say, guys, it's time for you to move. Go to a third world country and live in a cardboard shack. 
But amplify that by 10,000 times, and now you have what Jesus stepped out of to come here. Think about the generosity of God that he would give of himself in such a way. And then think about how he came. For the next month, we're going to celebrate him coming as a baby. Is there a more vulnerable creature on this planet than a baby? The God of the universe who created everything steps down to be the most vulnerable thing there is. Out of eternity into space and time. Just let that soak in of what he gave of himself. And then, why did he do it? To live a life, to set an example, to show us how to live ourselves. And even when you stop and think about that, pause for just a second. How do we know how he lived? We have this. How often do we take this for granted? This word that came down from the Father to prophets, to scribes, to people, to us, to see, to read 2,000 years later. Just hold on to that for a second. So that we would have a love letter, so we would have an instruction manual, so we would know who God is, who his son is, and what that means to us. He gave, he gave, he gave, he gave. We need a redeemer. He gave himself because we couldn't do it on our own. And when we come to the table and he says, do this in remembrance of me, that is what we remember. Not just the death, but also the life and the birth and how the birth happened. I mean, throw it all in reverse. Look at all of that together. We remember the why. And why did God do it in the first place? Why did he send his son? Why did his son say yes? His son said yes to glorify his father. That was the original intent of it all. All the things we can say that, oh, Jesus did this and Jesus did that. The main reason why he did it was to glorify God. As a matter of fact, as a teenager in Luke chapter 2, he talks about Jesus wandering off from his parents. And as he wandered off from his parents, they're looking all over for him, and they ended up finding him in the temple. And when they find him there, they're like, oh, we finally found you. And he's like, I, you should have known I was going to be here. I'm going to be in my father's house doing my father's business because that's why I came. And what was the father's business? Well, in Luke, or sorry, John chapter 17, near the end of his life, he says this in verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. He came to glorify God by doing the work he was sent here to do. What was that? Well, Luke chapter 4 says that he came to preach the good news of the kingdom. Luke chapter 19 says he came to seek and save the lost. In 1 Corinthians 6, it said we were bought with a price. Who's paid that price? Jesus did. That's why he came. To pay that price. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 22 says, According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We had to have forgiveness. Jesus had to shed his blood. That is why we are here. That is what we remember. He came to live and die so that we could have life. John 10.10, he came so we could have life abundantly. We've been talking about that for weeks now as we went through the seven deadly sins and those seven deadly sins and all the things that really tied into it was trying to steal that life that Jesus came to give us and give us in abundance. And we take that for granted. We take that for granted. And today is a day that we remember. And I'm hoping today is also a day that we respond. That we look at the life we've been given and say, God, how have I been wasting it? How have I been using it in a way that only glorifies myself and not glorifies you? How can we make this about you? And I think we have to remember as we respond that living an abundant life is how we glorify him. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. 
Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Christ stepped down, gave himself for us. Paul says, this is what Christ did. Then he says, imitate it. Just do it. Here's what Christ did. Here's what you need to do. But how often do we respond in such a way? See, when we remember his life and we imitate it, we have it all here, don't we? Not all of it. I mean, John actually says we don't have all the things recorded because there wasn't enough books on the planet to get all the things that Jesus could teach us and, and show us. But he gave us exactly how much we needed to live the way that he's called us to live. See, I look at the Bible and I say, man, what are just some of the things that he said? If you only had a page of the Bible, and it happened to be Matthew chapter 9, there are places around the world that only do have a page of the Bible, by the way. Us having that is, is an amazing thing. The fact that I have like 20 of them in my office blows me away. There's people around the world that don't have any or just a page. But imagine you had a Matthew chapter 9. It said, how am I supposed to live my life like Christ? Let's read it for a second, starting in verse 35. Four simple verses. What should we do? Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Just look at those four verses. And I'm supposed to imitate Jesus. What am I supposed to do? Well, the first thing I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to see as Jesus sees. See as Jesus sees. It says he saw the crowds. Now, I'm going to avoid all politics if possible here, but the crazy thing is that whole caravan thing that was moving from, from Guatemala on up, uh, you don't hear about it anymore now that all the, all the voting stuff's done. It's amazing how that just turns off that quickly. But the, the thing that I did see is, is I saw a lot of people get a lot angry about a lot of different sides and, and really get pretty fierce towards it. My thing is, is did we see as Jesus saw? Did we see people that were dejected and lost like sheep without a shepherd? Did we see an opportunity or did we get angry about it? Then it says, supposed to feel as Jesus felt, because it says he felt compassion for them. We talked about compassion last week. It's not sympathy. It's not empathy. It's saying, what can I do to help you? I will be willing to do whatever I can to help you. That is the compassion that we're supposed to have. Did we see as Jesus sees? Did we feel the same way he felt when we saw them? And then God says there at the end, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. We need to pray as Jesus prayed. When was the last time we prayed for the harvest? When was the last time that we said, you know what, there is a group of people that literally live 200 yards behind this church, right on the other side of this wall. There's a whole street that you cut through if you want to get over to Rockaway and not have to wait at lights, you know. You go this way over here. That whole street, I drive on it often, so I have to drive through the dirt and get my car dirty. But how often do I look and go, there's people that live here that need Jesus. They are sheep without a shepherd. And how often do I pray, God, send us into the harvest. Pray for the workers to go into the harvest. How often do we do that? And that's just four simple, short verses of what God wants us to do to imitate 
Christ. And there's so many other ones throughout the Gospels, throughout the whole New Testament, even into the Old Testament. We look and we see these are the things that God wants us to do. But when we take the Bible as a whole, you know what it's saying for us to imitate? His generosity. How he gave, how he gave, how he gave. See, when we look at the Bible, we see a big, generous God. And if there's an understatement that I make today, it's saying that God is generous. Because he's more than generous. He's, I can't think of another word. He is given and he's given and he's given. And one of the things that I see that he has given is his grace. See, God gives big grace. This table represents God's big grace. I look at Matthew chapter 18 and in the parable of Matthew chapter 18. Or look at Matthew chapter 20 and the parable of Matthew chapter 20. Uh, in chapter 18, it's about a servant who owes a huge debt, an unpayable debt to his master. And his master forgives him of it. Then that same servant goes to another servant who owes just a little bit of money to him and throws him in jail because of it. And, and the master gets upset saying, man, I gave you so much grace. Why aren't you giving it to others? I think that's a lesson we can hold on to. Matthew chapter 20, we talked about this not too long ago. It's the, the workers in the vineyard. And, and the master goes out in the morning and gets some guys and says, I'm going to pay you a day's wage, a denarius, and then I'm going to get some other guys throughout the day. But at the end of the day, he paid everybody the same. And the guys at the beginning, they said, well, we did all kinds of work. We worked in the hot of the sun and all that kind of stuff. And the master said, hey, guess what? My grace extends to all. My gift extends to all. I told you what you were going to get, and it extends to all. And sometimes we forget how big God's grace is and how we should be doing the same. That is something we remember at this table. The other thing I remember is that he gives big gifts. He gives big gifts. He is such a great gift giver. Matthew chapter 7 talks about earthly fathers giving good gifts to their kids then it also says there's a heavenly father that does way better than earthly fathers do. We have to remember that. But in Matthew chapter 25, there's another parable. And the parable I'm going to read to you here shortly is about the, the guys who get talents from the master. Let me read it to you. Starting in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 25, it says, For it's just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two talents, another one one talent, depending upon each one's ability. Then he went on his journey. Now I'm going to pause right there for just a second, because here's what we have to understand about that verse. When you think of a talent, it's a monetary thing. Sometimes we think, yeah, okay, it's like this giant coin instead of it's a regular coin, or whatever it might be, because one of the guys goes and buries it in the ground. You're like, okay, well, what does that even mean? Let me tell you something about a talent. A talent is 6,000 denarius, or denarii. I don't know if there's a plural to it. 6,000. Well, I just told you in the last parable that a denarius is a day's wage. So this is 6,000 days' wages. You realize that's over 20 years? So when it says he gave one guy one talent, that he gave him 20 years' worth of wages. And it says he gives the other one two, well, that means that's 40 years. And the other one five, that means 100 years worth of wages. Let me just break it down for you just real quick. If you make $10 an hour and you work for a day's wage, eight hours a day, that's 80 hours, or sorry, $80 a day. You multiply that times 6,000, you know what you get besides a lot? $480,000. And that's the guy who got one talent. 
Double that, multiply that by five for the other ones. God is a big gift giver. He gives us big gifts. But as we see in the story, what's the response? Look at verse 16. Immediately the man who received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man who had two earned two more. But the man who received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. See, God's a big gift giver, but he doesn't want us just to hoard it. Because if you know the rest of the story, the one who buried and hid it, he's the only one that got in trouble. He's the only one that got yelled at. He's the only one that got scolded. Because he didn't do anything with the gift. See, when we are given something, when we're given grace, we're supposed to show grace. When we're given talents and gifts, we're supposed to give talents and gifts. It's supposed to be used for his glory and for his honor because that's what it's all about to begin with. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're saved. For his glory, his honor. That's what we remember at the table. It's about his glory and his honor. As much as we want to come somber in a face of dejection and all the things that may come over us when we come to communion, what we need to do is say, God, thank you for giving me salvation. Thank you for redeeming me. Thank you for giving me abundant life. The only way I'm coming sorry is saying, I'm sorry, I'm blowing it. Help me work in my heart. Change me. Make me who you want me to be. See, we're supposed to do something with it. A generous God who gives and gives and gives wants giving in return. I already told you about the Giving Tuesday. I do, don't, do have an issue with it being after Black Friday and Small Business Saturday and Cyber Monday and all of that because I think people are like, oh, yeah, here, here's that penny I have left. But I think we need to, to understand why we're here. It really isn't to hoard and say, this is all the stuff that is mine, and then I need to avoid the bad stuff in life, and that's what the Christian life's about. And a lot of times, that's what we do. Because see, what the Christian life is about is about pursuing. Check out what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and glorify God on that day. How many things do Christians do that get crushed in the media. How many times do we respond in anger back to them instead of just giving glory to God and continuing to do what we're supposed to do? And that is to love people, to serve people, to use the gifts. As a matter of fact, just two, two verses, or sorry, two chapters later in 1 Peter 4, it says this, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the grace of God, that buried grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. See, when I look at that, when I look at this table, I'm reminded of who I'm supposed to be. When he says, do this in remembrance of me, we remember his death, absolutely. But we also remember his life. And how our lives are supposed to be because of it. See, when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where we're going to get our passage about this whole um, table and the response that is here, is because they were coming casually and flippantly towards the table, not in reverence, not understanding what God had done and how we should be responding. So he writes this to help us remember. It's in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you on that night when he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, 
and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. See, today we're supposed to remember. We're supposed to remember the life of Christ. We're supposed to remember the death of Christ. We're supposed to remember the resurrection of Christ. But we're also supposed to proclaim his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, resurrection until the day that he comes. That's what we're supposed to do today is to remember. Our prayer, our challenge today, I think, comes from Paul talking to the church at Philippi when he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. For us to live is Christ. It's not to live as ourselves. It's not to live as gain, but it's to live as Christ. That is what this table helps us to remember. So today, I'm going to challenge you. We're going to sing three, kind of three and a half songs as we respond and the way we do it here is you come as you please. You can come as soon as we start. You can come during the last song. You can come anytime in between. You can come as an individual. You can come as a family. However you see fit, the only thing that we ask is that you are a believer in Jesus Christ because that is what we're remembering is the fact that he lived and he died for us. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, I would love to talk to you about it because I give you a very quick snippet of all the things that he did. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about who Jesus is, what he has done for you, and how he will change your life. But as we remember today, for those of you who have already been there, understand something. Understand why he did it and how we are supposed to respond. There's the little cracker ones. There's fresh baked bread. You could take either one. There's nothing special about it. We could have Mountain Dew and crackers up here. It doesn't really matter that much. What matters is we remember what happened and how it happened and why it happened to glorify God. Let's do that today. Father, thank you for who you are and what you do. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to be even here today to celebrate your son and give thanks. So quickly we brush off the give thanks part, but we give thanks for the life that he lived, the example that he set for us. We give thanks for the death that he died to give us abundant life. God, we lift you up today in all things. We give you the praise, we give you the glory, we give you the honor, even as we partake and remember what your son did for us. God, you are good, and you deserve all glory and praise today. We pray it in your name. Amen.